You're listening to Filling the Storehouse Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Stuart. And we want to walk with you on the journey to living the abundant life through faith, family, and freedom. Our goal is to refine our why while helping you find yours. Together, achieve our best and highest purpose. In the end, we'll drive each other to intentionally fill our storehouse. What's up, Storehouse listeners? Hey, this is Stu. And um, wow, we just passed the 100 episode mark. And we really appreciate all of you listeners um, taking the time to spend with us and uh, listen to topics about faith, family, and financial freedom. We just created a questionnaire and uh, we're looking for feedback from you. Um, we'd love to hear from you about what your favorite topic was, what your favorite episode was, and what you want to hear about in the future. We'd love some feedback. Um, there's a link in the show notes and it takes probably one minute to do jump on there and give us your feedback. There's a couple questions about uh, what you liked, what you didn't like, what you want to hear in the future. And then there's one question at the end that's the most important. Vote for Stu. That's all I'm going to say. Go fill your storehouse and make it a great day. See you. David, are you still ready? Because we've already hit the record button. Dude, I already told you, dumb questions don't need to be asked here, Stuart. This is a deep, meaningful, thoughtful question environment. So if you could lock it up, Heck yeah, we're ready. Well, we, we got, got Justin this born, born here, ready. Born ready. Yep. We got uh, ready. we got one of our fellow classmates on, man. This is cool. Hot two, baby. Hot two, two thousand two. That's right. That's right. Justin, good to see you, man. Yeah, so good to see you guys. You you got a you got a way nicer setup than the two of us. David has a lot of uh, background uh, stuff going on in his in his basement and. Uh, mine's not so awesome either. So you're way more professional looking than we are right now. I'm I'm big on the Zoom background, optimizing for Zoom background. You know, like who knows if I've got pants on right now, but I've got a killer background for my Zoom. I spend like ten hours a day on Zoom, so I'm like, it may as well look pretty. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the world we're in now. Is just uh, everything is uh, everything's on Zoom. Yeah. We yeah. we uh, David actually we actually tried to meet in person earlier today. We're like, this isn't working. Let's just go back to our houses and yeah. sit on Zoom. Well, you know what? I I, uh, I do a lot on LinkedIn and I um, had a bunch of calls yesterday with people I just met who are in Denver, who are you know just connected with on LinkedIn. I never would have met with them two years ago because I would have had to drive to see them. That's half an hour. And then it's an hour of coffee and drive. It's like a three-hour commitment. But yeah. now it's a 30-minute Zoom. I'll meet with anyone now. It's awesome. I, I'm a huge fan of you know, the silver lining of the last two years is we're all more comfortable with video and makes things a lot easier. And, and you can do it without any pants on. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the money I save on pants alone is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, and it, but there's, it can backfire. Cause I've literally walked out of my house to take the kids to the bus stop uh, without pants on 13 occasions now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just because I've gotten so comfortable with it. And, you know, it's really awkward when you're at the bus stop. Yeah. I mean, you can't even go near a school now. You're banned. You got, you're on a watch list. Yeah. Yeah. In my own neighborhood, dude, (laughs) my own neighborhood. It's crazy. So, oh man. Well, Justin, dude, for, for our audience, if you could give us a little background. I mean, obviously went to the best, best school, best class. um, Yeah. But uh, then what, what happened after that? We kind of all split our ways and, and, and what'd you do next? Yeah, I did. I did. Well, actually, I'll, I'll go granular here because yeah. if anyone knows Terry Doyle and Nick Rotunda, yeah. I graduated. I went I had three months in Germany. It was the biggest boondoggle of my life. I was stationed over there with Terry and Nick and we drank beer and smoked cigars every day. And it was the best post, you know, after tossing my hat in the, the air at Naval Academy, the best send off ever. And then uh, I went submarine. So I 
did the whole nuke pipeline, did um, time mostly on the Alaska and then a little bit on the Chicago and um, got out right at the five-year point. I uh, went to business school and then have been doing startups since then. You know, the roller coaster of starting companies and having crazy successes and miserable failures. But that's been um, that's been the last 10 years, 10 plus years for me since graduating business school. And it's, dude, it's wild to think you guys are retiring in a few months here. It's wild to think that, you know, people we know are commanding ships and stuff and definitely worthy of it, but it's just kind of a crazy perspective. Yeah. We're we're the old guys now, man. Walking around the Academy when you were mids, you know, you're like, oh, that commander, that guy's got to be so old. Yep. Yeah. That's us. That's us. Hey, I got (laughs) to ask you, when were you on Chicago? I was, so before I threw in my resignation letter, because I spent all my time on the ballistics, I, um, missile subs, I, uh, I volunteered to go on the Chicago. So the Alaska pulled in from a three month deployment. I literally hopped off the pier, flew to Japan, met the Chicago, uh, would have been 2006, maybe around Christmas, 2006, uh, went out on deployment with them came back just in time to catch the Alaska for their, so I was like on deployment for like a year straight, but it was awesome, man. I, um, have a ton of respect for the guys on fast boats and, um, gave me a taste of what that was like. And, um, and then, you know, after that, I, I decided I'd, I'd get out. That's crazy. Cause I, I, I'll have to look back through my, uh, my paperwork, but I, so I'm a crippy. Yeah. I was in Hawaii and I rode missions on, you know, all those subs, but the Chicago, I did two missions on Chicago and I want, I, I have to assume that we were not on the boat at the same time, Yeah, but, um, but it would have been really close, man. I was out there, uh, you know, from the, you know, two thousand. well, actually I, I have to look cause our, our time might've overlapped a little bit on there, you know, because in mission out and then back for another mission and out. So. Well, I, I went out on style on that one. We went partying the night, the night I left and I missed my flight the next morning. It was that, that was, it was that crazy. So they might, might've been some bad rumors when you joined of like, dude, you're way better than that. Just complete basket case who just left here. <laughs> That's so funny, man. That's awesome. Well, small world. Well, so, and, and I'm kind of curious, was, was this entrepreneurial bug? Was it, was it born at the academy, is this something that you did? You grow up was your family entrepreneurs? Is it something that, that a bug that bit you after you left the submarine force? Like, how did what, what did that that the specifics of that transaction transition look like from the navy? You know, I mean, like I I can look back and and see you know like in third grade I was like selling stamps and lottery tickets and stuff like that. I, I feel like we all have this revisionist history where we can kind of see the trends. But dude, I was the opposite of every, I went to business school at Stanford. A lot of people go there for entrepreneurship. The, the running joke is that everyone writes their essays saying they're going to be an entrepreneur. And then everyone goes on and, be, and is a consultant. And I was the opposite. Like all I knew was Naval Academy, submarines, business school, consulting. Like that was my career path when I knew I was going to get out and um, makes a ton of sense, right? I knew nothing about business. So let me get the academic experience at business school. Let me get the practical industry experience at consulting and then pick an industry. And um, I actually accepted an offer with uh, McKinsey Consulting in New York, dream job. That's what I wanted when I went to business school. I got it. And um, I graduated in June and my start date wasn't until March. And so 
and you know, I was, I was in Alaska. I went, I went with two good friends. One of them was an air force Academy grad. And, uh, we went hiking in Alaska for like three weeks. It was awesome. Like plane flew us in to the middle of nowhere. We hiked for three weeks and a plane flew us out. It was so awesome. And, uh, John Fennick, this dude was like, he's like, Justin, cause I was like debating. I'm like, I got nine months. What do I do? Do I start a company and just dabble around? Do I just do whatever? And he, and he was like, Justin, if you spend $10,000 and six months of your life, starting a company and all you get out of it is a story you tell when you're having a beer with someone totally worth it. And that was like enough to kick me over. Like I never thought I would be doing that. And I, I started a company and it went well. And I ended up doing that instead of going to do consulting. But um, I will say when I was at business school, I looked at something called search funds, which is you buy a company with investors and you run it. It's kind of like a franchise type thing. I thought of that, which is definitely entrepreneurial, but I never really thought of starting something on my own. And I, and I, I say that for the listeners who, you know, when, when I was at the Naval Academy, I ruled out aviation because there were so many dudes that saw Top Gun when they were five and they wanted to be a pilot since they were five. And I'm like, I'm not going to compete against those dudes. And, you know, for people listening, if you haven't wanted to be an entrepreneur since you were three years old, it doesn't matter. Like if you want to give it a shot, you can do that. There's no birthright here. There's no longevity here. Like I had no intentions of doing it. And I'm so happy that I did. Yeah, Stu, before you before you ask a question, I know you have one, but I, I, will, I just want to highlight that. I think that is absolutely amazing, beautiful advice that, that was it the, you said the Air Force Academy grad is the one that gave you that advice? Yeah. And was he yeah. an entrepreneur as well? Previously? He, he was, um, yeah, so he was at Stanford with me. He went okay. on, he was a part of a five-person team that started a company called Skybox that was bought later for five or 600 million by Google. So he was, you know, he was an entrepreneur as well. And, you know, a risk averse guy, he was, his path was, um, air force Academy, air force. He went to MIT and got a master's and then went to Stanford, like super smart guy, but not the type of person that I would think would be risk tolerant. And sometimes those people make the best entrepreneurs <laughs> the ones yeah. who are really cautious. Well, and I just think that the wisdom of, in, in the long sided view yeah. of, Hey, spend down 10,000 bucks and uh, get the experience and the experience in and of itself is worth it. I think that is such amazing advice. And then you adding to, you know, the context to that with your own story was uh, you know, I hope our listeners really grasp onto that and, and it empowers them not only to uh, to do, to take action, but also to give them the confidence and just the, you know, the knowledge that, Hey, even if it goes terribly wrong, it will be an, an amazing investment in life, right? Yeah, That's, I really love that. Thank you for that. And I, and I, one thing I appreciate about entrepreneurship is like, I, I'm not like a classroom learner. Like I, I loved business school. I don't know how much I, I learned there by choice, but like, I, I learn by doing stuff, right? I learn by like having to build. I mean, I built, I built uh, my new website in like two hours and I've had people ask me how much money I spent on it. I'm like, I spent 20 bucks on Squarespace and two hours of my time and I built it. And that's because I've done that hundreds of times. And I'm not, I'm not saying you have to do it all yourself, but like entrepreneurship is so much hands-on and learning through mistakes that I'm like, I just know that I, I personally learned 
more in a year of entrepreneurship than I would have learned five years working somewhere else. It's interesting you said that because my one of my questions that that led to this was, I mean, and I'm not trying to uh, downplay, you know, getting a, a master's degree, getting an MBA, but do you do you feel that a master's an MBA um, helped you start your companies, start you know the entrepreneur track? Um, cause I mean, you know, I got an MBA and, and honestly the stuff we've learned, like we've learned, just like you said, way more from just going out and doing it and making mistakes and trying things, putting yep. yourself out there. And, and then I mean, all the academic stuff, I mean, I don't know, man, it's, I, it, it's good, but I, I don't think that really taught me I, how to cre- create I, a business. Know, you know, I, I'm, uh, uh, there's a guy I interviewed Ryan Hogan. He started a company called hunt a killer. Uh, he was enlisted Navy, commissioned as an officer, spent 15 years on active duty, started four companies while on active duty. He runs, you know, his company's now uh, over 100 employees, $50 million like that. And then he got an MBA on the side, but that dude was like, I don't want to use the word hustling because I think it has a negative connotation. That dude was like entrepreneuring on active duty. Like we, you don't need any credentials or anything like that. Um, I think where it helped me I think it was like my detox period after the military, kind of like reorientation, which I didn't know I needed at the time. Yeah. I think it was like a good credibility sign. I think, you know, for my first company, I raised money. I I don't want to do that again, but like, I think it helped me raise money. So if that's important to people, maybe I think the network is great. You know, any network is great. Had I worked at Google for two years, that would be a great network. Had I gone to McKinsey for two years, that would have been a great network. So I think there's a value to network. What I'm, you know, if I were to rewind the clock, what I wish I would have done more of is just like screw trends, screw stats, what's right for me. And I think there's a world in which what was right for me is like maybe I would have benefited from a couple of years of consulting. You know, now I'm 41, I kind of rewind the clock to my 27 year old self. I'm like, I could have had a stint at four different jobs and learned a lot. And I had to create an employee handbook, which I'd never done for Storybox. I just, there's so much, I, I reinvented what I didn't need to. So m- more than like business school or not, I feel like the thing for me in retrospect is just patience of like, if I'm committed to building a company, it may make sense to go work at a company in that industry and learn the ropes and then do it. It may mm-hmm. make sense just to do it straight out of the gates. It may se- make sense to you know, stringer bell from the wire, go to night school at night and learn business while I'm selling drugs on the street, right? Like, I don't know what the right path is for everyone, but I wish I was more patient in just approaching this as building blocks and being willing to get whatever building block I thought at the time would help me. Yeah, that's good, man. That's, that's, that's a good answer. I I like that. So what this first company that you started out the gate with, uh, talk about that. And and you said it was successful. You know, it's funny. Um, I dropped my rings. I'm fiddling with it as we, as I talk. Um, it's, it's kind of funny. I'll give you the full story. Cause, um, it's, it has come full circle with what I'm doing right now. And, um, when I was in business school, I, I grouped up with three friends. There was a six month class of like start a business. And the business that we came up with was around preserving life memories. And we really wanted to create a platform. So our future children and grandchildren would know our parents and grandparents and the way that we found to do that was storytelling on video. And that, you know, as happens, that pivoted into a company that I called The One About, and then I called Video Genie, and then I called Storybox, you know, over the course of years. 
it turned into like video testimonials for businesses. It turned into getting Instagram photos of products and putting them on websites. That's ultimately what Storybox became and happy to talk about. I mean, so many like pivots and opportunities missed along the way. But um, yeah, ultimately we were this platform for Instagram marketing. And it's just kind of crazy for me because like, as you know, I've continued to iterate through other companies, what I'm doing now is, is essentially where I started. It's around legacy. And I happen to be doing that with CEOs of companies and learning their story and then translating it to LinkedIn posts to build an audience that helps them with recruiting. You know, there's a lot of benefits there, but fundamentally it's crazy because it's, it's the core idea that I had in business school, which was like, at the end of the day, how do you preserve someone's legacy and their memory and their stories for, for posterity? That, that's, uh, you know, I love how, one, I love how that, that, that happens, right? It comes full circle and, and that original idea is, is still paying dividends. But you said something that, that just kind of piqued my interest. Yeah. Uh, you said opportunities missed. What, what, do you, what do you mean by that? So, you know, the biggest thing when I, as I look back on my career is um, I rate, you know, I'm, I'm a Navy guy out of business school. I start a company. I got $3 million. And part of that was from Google's chairman, Eric Schmidt. And so when, you know, entrepreneurship for me has always been um, vast deserts of self, self-doubt, self-loathing and questioning where I'm going and why I'm doing it. And then like brief periods on the mountaintop where I, I think I'm like way better than I actually am. You know, it's like this, it's this mind, uh, mind game of just, um, keeping your ego in balance on both sides of not beating yourself up and not, you know, not realizing that you're not invincible. So I have 3 million bucks in the bank and, um, we're at the time called video genie. And I had just pitched hundreds of investors on, on this vision of video testimonials. And we had a lot of customers and many of those customers were talking about Instagram. Many of those customers were asking us when we were going to do photos. And I did something that I never want to do again in, in personal life or professional life, which is I, I made people wrong for their beliefs. You know, they want us to do photos. No, our name is Video Genie. Don't you know video is the next big thing? Don't you know video is 53% more effective? Like I just made them wrong for their authentic experience. And another company came along. They started four years after me. They started exclusively doing photos on Instagram. And a few years later, they sold for $130 million. And I, a year after that, pivoted to try to catch up to them and, you know, never did, never even came close. And so the opportunity missed was direct feedback from my customers. And, and for asp- aspiring entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs listening, I don't want to make this as simple as listen to your customers. Like I love the Henry Ford quote. If I listened to my customers, I would have built a faster horse. Like, it's not like, it's not like there wasn't thousands of other things coming to me from customers. It was stupid ideas. Right. But, but the quote that I love is like, you have to love your customer more than you love your product. And had I done that, I would have been willing to flush down the toilet, literally a million plus dollars of tech innovation and investment. I would have flushed it down the toilet and said, this is the better opportunity. This is where the market is going. This is where our customers want us to go. Like there were many things lining up to say that was right. 
And, um, you know, last thing I'll say on that, it's, it's top of mind because I was just speaking with him yesterday, but um, Ryan Hogan from Hunter Killer, they, they do these interactive games around like murder mystery. And it's like in person and online, it's like this cool experience. It, he started doing like zombie 5K events, you know, like literally like, and, and made millions off of it. But he kind of like consistently did well and realized it wasn't the opportunity and, and adapted. And I, that's, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life is like be willing to ditch a good idea for an even better one rather than like, you know, holding on to the Titanic as it sinks to the ocean floor. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that. I, I was listening, just randomly listened to a Warren Buffett speech uh, yesterday and he was talking about um he, he he was talking about the founder of enterprise who wouldn't sell to him and he said it was a it was a it was a very good decision by that guy to not sell to warren buffett because now he's you know just you know absolutely well the founders passed but i think they're looking at going into a fourth generation um and he also mentioned this this uh i believe she's a russian immigrant started, uh, I think it's called the Nebraska uh, furniture store. And he did buy that company. And it, you know, um, uh, was his, his point was, these are not unique industries, right? They're the car rental business is not unique, nor is the furniture business. But he said what they brought to the table was vastly different was exactly what you said is they listened to their, um, to their clients. And they created an experience that brought joy to their, mm. to their clients in their respective <clears throat> excuse me, and their respective industries. And I think that's such a huge point that you just made that, you know, you don't have to create the most uh, new technologically advanced sound thing. It's, it's, you're bringing a personality, you're bringing the core of who you are, staying true to that and listening and offering that experience. And it, it can make businesses absolutely explode, which I think is, uh, is incredible insight. So thank you for sharing that. You know, and and I love that too. And, you know, a top of mind example, like Black Rifle Coffee that is worth billions, literally billions now. It's mother effing coffee. (laughs) Like coffee's been around a long time, right? But their their marketing and, you know, I I don't know in depth about their success, but I'm imagining their marketing and customer experience and mission attracted people to something where you can get literally a thousand different options of that in your store. It's just like wild. So I love your point about that, that creating joy. And that's, I mean, I'm, I'm a lifelong USAA member, right? Lots of banks out there. I love USAA, right? Like there's a million things they do that cause me to love them. I don't care if there's a better rate, I'm never switching, you know? So like, I think you're right. It's, and, and the great thing there, especially for veterans is you don't have to have some killer idea. Like, I think that veterans are usually off the charts on emotional intelligence. And I think that that's like emotional intelligence and getting stuff done. Right. And it's like, that's, a that's, a, you can do a lot with that. Yeah. So one of the things that you have done also is, is this podcast, if you could kind of talk about, talk about your podcast, talk about like why you started it and, and what you've learned through that process. Cause I, I think that's probably, I, I would assume that there's a lot of lessons learned in there as you're interviewing other, other guests on there that are, that are military veterans, right? Yeah. So I started, uh, the podcast is beyond the uniform started it four or four or five years ago now. And it, it purely came out of, uh, going to San Diego to visit my 
wife's maid of honor and her husband who's in the Marine or was in the Marine Corps at the time. And we went down there for her birthday. Half the guests there were Marines and all of them were doing what I did when I was on active duty, which was complain about what am I going to do when I get out? And I thought, okay, I spent over $130,000 going to business school and two years of my life. That's not a path that most people are going to take, but I thought like, there's got to be a way that, you know, that's the entrepreneur mindset. There's got to be a way to solve this problem. And I just kind of, it sat in the back of my mind for like three, four months. And I was in Portland airport making a connection. And I called a friend and I'm like, oh man, I'm listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast, which at the time was like, you know, podcasting was so new. And I'm like, dude, this guy just asks questions. He doesn't have to come up with content. He doesn't have to know the answer. He just has to meet with cool people and ask him questions. I'm like, that's the format, right? I'm running a company. I don't have time to do a lot to try to give back, but I could give an hour a week. And so I just started doing that. I, you know, Hey, you're the, you're an ESPN photographer. What's that like? You know, how did you get there from the military? And that's, you know, 418 episodes ago, like a long time ago. Wow, dude, and, that's awesome. And, and it's great. You know, the company I started two years ago or a year and, a year and change ago, Captivate came out of that. Like it's, it's kind of a podcast marketing tool that came out of what I learned from Beyond the Uniform. And I've met a ton of people and, you know, it's just kind of like so many benefits come from this. I won't even say side hustle because it's not by any means profitable, but it's like a side hobby. Yeah. And, and one other thing I'll say just as a plug for podcasting is like, you know, a couple of years ago, I was like down on myself where I'm like, oh, I don't have a mentor. All my guests talk about mentors. I'm like, actually, I meet an hour a week with some brilliant veteran who shares something awesome with me. Like I've got 418 mentors. Like there's so much value to podcasting and just, you know, I'll just, it's so awesome to see you guys. Like, I don't know if we'd be able to chat or make time or carve time out if we weren't doing this podcast. And it's just like, so cool to connect with you guys and re reconnect with you guys. So I'm a huge advocate of podcasts. I think they're such a cool vehicle. Yeah, dude, I, I agree. I mean, David and I have gotten a few guests on that, uh, that we probably never would have had a chance to, to talk to if we didn't have a platform like this and yep. same, I mean, we've learned a ton from, yep. from our guests so far. It's, it's been really cool. It's, I mean, you know, as you said, we're not making any money <laughs> at this podcasting <laughs> thing, but, but, uh, I think, you know, third order effects, we, we really are just through, through our learning and our network and, and everything else that comes along with it is super cool. Yeah. Well, talk, and it's also our, it. you know, I think it's funny. It's it, when we reflect on the different things we're doing, the different businesses we're uh, trying to run, aspiring to run, setting up our favorite thing is podcasting. Yeah. And, and, and it boils down to just like you said, like we, ha we have the opportunity to get, you know, if I was just going to try to call you, I mean, yeah, we're classmates and it's awesome, but you're a busy guy and there's a good chance that you'd be like, dude, I just don't have time to talk right now. Yep. And, and, but this, 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 uh, just creates such a rich environment to have extremely meaningful value add conversations as well. It's, it's not, it's not, um, you know, I've never seen it when I've been on a podcast, I've never seen it as a time suck yep. doing the podcast is probably the favorite thing that one of the favorite things I do. And I think it's, you know, for everybody out there, that's, that's listening. If you have an inkling to do it, I mean, if you listen to some of our first episodes, they're garbage, dude, like they're just not very good. We, we did not do a good job and maybe the current ones are garbage too. They're hundred episodes later, by, still garbage. Yeah. I mean, they're made better by our, our guest quality though has gone up significantly as well. But, um, but I think it's, it's just a great opportunity to, 
like you said, every one of these opportunities, you're sitting here taking notes and I'm learning from, you know, I've got questions. I'm like, okay, I got, I got a list of questions for Justin that, that we're going to, hopefully you can make time and, and we can sit down for coffee and meet in person and, and a fellowship that way. But, but it, it already sets the tone for, uh, I think rich, uh, discourse and dialogue. And I, and, you know, <laughs> two other things I'll say is that for hosting the plug for me for hosting a podcast is it's the best training and curiosity. Like I am a much more curious person because I've had so many hours of practicing of just asking questions and listening, which is not the way I normally do things. Right. I just normally talk. And then the other thing is I've probably spent hundreds of dollars of on books. Cause I always <laughs> ask my guests and I've, you know, literally this week I've probably bought three different books, which is great though. Like books I would have never come across to, uh, to learn more. Yeah, man. So how does that, how does the, uh, this transition to what you're doing now, you know, you kind of talked about the podcasting, helping you with what yeah. you're doing now. Talk about, um, you know, the, the, the captivate and the executive presence. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I spent years kind of just not having a clear career direction and I did a lot of consulting and just kind of did a lot of side things to make good money, but it wasn't really, um, in some ways it felt like junk food. Like I was getting the calories, I was getting money, but I wasn't like, it didn't feel like I was deepening. That's not fair. I think I spent a couple of years just really focusing on, on personal growth with meditation and men's groups and a lot of other things. But I I had the idea a year and a half ago, let's call it for captivate. And, and the insight for me was that I'm like, man, I, I talked to someone for an hour on a podcast I'm like, I I could turn that into five blog posts and five Instagram reels and 10 YouTube clips and a dozen LinkedIn posts. I'm like, in an interview that lasts an hour, I could create a month of social media content. And I would never do that otherwise. And so that's what Captivate.ai does. We built a process and tech around that of... um, literally working with companies, usually, you know, 20 employees or more where they upload a webinar, they upload a podcast and we turn it into a month of social media content and all the data to go along with it. And so that's, that continues to go very recently. I I launched a second brand called executive presence. It's executivepresence.io. And, um, the premise there is I, I work with CEOs of high growth companies and interview them for an hour and turn that into 20 text-based uh, LinkedIn posts. And um, we, do a, we, do every, we do the full LinkedIn playbook. We respond to comments. We look at analytics. We do outreach. So for them, they spend an hour a month, but their personal brand on LinkedIn is built up really efficiently with their knowledge, their voice, everything. And um, that has hiring benefits from them, retention, sales, partnerships. It's a lot of benefits for them. But but one thing I'll just say is that, um, you know, in doing Captivate, one of the pain points I started to learn personally is I'm like, holy crap, like I got to be an expert. My company has to be an expert on podcasting webinars, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, like it gets incredibly complex fast. And there is a value to complexity. It can be a barrier to entry. But one of the things that's drawn me to really spend the bulk of my time on executive presence this year is the simplicity. It's LinkedIn. I deal with CEOs who pay a lot of money that I want to learn from. 
And, um, you know, one other thing that's kind of full circle through, through beyond the uniform, I did this thing called purpose mapping two or three years ago and kind of like a, um, process to discover my purpose. And, and actually I've got it right here. One of the things I've got, I, I came up with in this thing, I, I created all, this is just for the benefit of, uh, David and Stu. I, I put together this sheet called paid to grow forever ago is this phrase that had a lot of meaning. I've got you know, super gimmicky, but I've got my Tesla that I want to buy and first class flights and, you know, mountain house, all the things that are motivational for me. But what was wild for me when the idea clicked for executive presence was it was like the first time where I'm like, holy shit, like I'm getting paid to grow. Like literally I sit down with CEOs who are crushing it and I ask them questions about how they do that. And they're paying me to do it. And then I'm like, it's just like, it's kind of wild. And I just say that because like, you know, three years ago when I wrote that, I had no idea how I'd get there. And what I thought it would look like is nothing like what it actually looks like, but there's a lot of value to just kind of, you know, throwing out a vision of what you want your future to look like. And it, it will likely look different than what you expect, but it could be in line with what your, what your goal was. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I love that, man. That is, that is so awesome how, <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it was almost like a prophecy for, for what your, your future is going to look like. But I think there's also so much power in the exercise of, of creating that vision. So having the vision, cultivating the vision, spending time to, to, uh, you know, figure out the steps to realize that vision. And then I think there's a subconscious element to it as well, that, that is driving your steps that you're not even necessarily conscious of that you're not intentionally thinking about, but because you're you're so grounded and firm in that vision and what it is, it you effectively realized. And yeah, of course, it's going to be different than what you thought it was. But I bet you that that different is probably better than what you thought it was going to be. Right. And, and go ahead. And I'm I'm be, I love that you're saying that because I'm becoming a bigger, bigger fan of visualization. And it came from a, a friend of mine who uh, aspired to be a pro uh, hockey player in Canada. And he just told me about how he would visualize the game before he played everything, like what it felt like. And the more specific, the better, like he would spend an hour trying to visualize this perfect game. And, you know, now he does that as a business person. And I, and I, and I try to do the same thing. Like I don't do it enough, but like visualizing this really important sales call that I had earlier today, like picturing what it feels like to make the ask and picturing what it looks like. And, you know, even with this, you know, gimmicky paid to grow, like I want to be more specific, like what does this mountain house look like? And what does it feel like to take my son there and teach him to ski? And what does it feel like to like spend time in nature? And I think you're right. I think that just plants more juice in our subconscious that we're more willing to take risks more, we're more willing to, to see opportunities. We're more willing to, um, to tolerate discomfort that may be required to get what we're going after. And I think it's a natural uh, growth. You know, one of the coolest things that, um, and Stu has probably done this, you know, a billion times more than I have, but when I was in flight school, they had you, they call it blue chairing, right? You sit there and you, you envision everything, or even when I was riding subs, you know, you think through, okay, the tracks and the things that you do. And then when the situation arose, I mean, it was, if you spent the time and you really, you spent maybe four hours blue chairing a one hour flight, by the time you did it, it really was not, I mean, it was easy, man. It was like, just, yep, naturally do this, do that. They throw you some curveballs. You don't even have to think about, now you can focus on the curveball because you already know basically 
memorized the process you're going to go through and you just figure it out. Right. And I think, you know, the, 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 the ability to do that and the focus required is, uh, I think it's a game changer. And I think it's also, you know, it's, it's so hard to analyze because it's, it's, it's a mindset. It's, it's things that are, are, you know, it, it's uh, some people will call it luck, but it's where that, that preparation and the meets that opportunity and, mm. and you go forward and it's so impossible to measure, but I think you see the results and, and seeing what you've done. It's awesome, man. You're a 2002 Naval Academy graduate crushing these businesses. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. I love that. Flight. I love the uh, aviation analogy too. It's like, it is like you, you freeze up bandwidth to do other things because you've, you've rehearsed it enough. I, I used to do it all the time. I, I called it, you call it blue chair, blue flying, or I called it uh, chair flying. So I basically would sit in a chair and I would go through the motions, hit the buttons, like memorize where all the buttons were and go through the maneuvers and flight school, man. They teach that from day one is chair flying. You sit <laughs> there and awesome. visualize it. And I used to have a, uh, just a, a paper printout of, of the dials and the screens and you just like practice, you know, pushing buttons and stuff like that. So it's huge, man, for sure. It gets to that uh, reticular activating system where you're just subconsciously, you know, thinking about stuff and, and, and moving forward. It's good. Hey, so wh- why LinkedIn? What, why LinkedIn over, over other social platforms? I mean, David is a huge TikTok fan. Yeah. Like <laughs> David loves the TikTok, but uh, I'm just curious, you know, yeah, man, what's, so powerful about, <laughs> what's so powerful about LinkedIn over other, other, uh, social I platforms? think for, um, you know, and, and I might be tainting this. I'll give you some of my bias. When I, I graduated business school in 2009 and, uh, two of my classmates joined Facebook and in 2009, I'm like, dude, the ship sailed. Like, why are you guys going there? And they're all, you know, millionaires many times over, right? Like that platform had a lot of room to grow. I feel like that with LinkedIn. I just feel like it is so untapped. Um, I think that you know if someone is is focusing on hiring, I don't care who you're hiring, ninety percent chance the the person's on LinkedIn. And if you, especially if you're selling to a professional, you know if you're if you're like if you're a consumer facing company, if you're selling like burgers, probably not. But like, let's call it seventy percent of the companies out there. People, their customer is on LinkedIn and their their next hire is on LinkedIn. So if it's not a high growth company, like if they're not looking to hire five to 10 or more employees in a year, it it's might not be the area to focus. And if you're not looking to form partnerships on on uh, with other professionals or sell to people on it might not be a good fit. And that that you know, TikTok, Instagram, all of those have value. And there's, you know, as we speak, there's the next platform I don't even know about that's out there. But the nice thing is that um, while consumers switch around quite a bit, I don't think professionals do. Like it would have to be, I, I, I had a friend email me. He's like, join my professional network. I'm like, dude, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not switching. Like the investment is too high and there's too many other things to do. So I think that LinkedIn is completely underutilized. And what's driving me is I, I see a lot of, call them influencers on LinkedIn and more power to them. They're very, very intelligent and they're very accomplished and they've built up a massive following such that they get literally millions of views a day. But what kills me is, you know, the people that I want to learn from, they they don't have the time to do that. (laughs) And they have built up massive companies. The guy that I was talking to right before this, that I'm going to work with, he's 
you got a 5,000 person company, like this dude has made personally over a hundred million dollars. I'm like, I want to learn from that dude. Like that guy's got killer stuff to learn about finance and about hiring and firing. And I'm like, what, what my dream is, is like everyone wins when that guy is sharing his insights on LinkedIn. And if you compare the tactics that have made influencers so influential with the knowledge that's made that guy so successful, he currently, he'll go to Stanford business school once a year and share to 60 students, his, his story, and they get a lot of value. I want to bring that to everyone on LinkedIn. So I'm not saying for everyone listening that you have to be on LinkedIn. Like there might be a play where TikTok or Snapchat or who knows what makes more sense. But for most businesses, there is a huge opportunity in being present, visible, and active on LinkedIn. And that's super interesting. You know, in, in the, the real estate space that we're in, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people that have created these brands and, and are influencers, um, but they're very new to real estate. Yep. And they don't have a you know a ton of experience and a ton of knowledge, but they create this influencer brand on a social media platform. And they can raise millions of dollars, but who knows if they're really, really good at real estate. And, and then you take a guy who's been doing real estate forever and he's not even on the social platforms. It, it's uh, I love the idea of kind of putting the two together. It's super cool, man. And, and you know, not, not to reference D- Donald Trump positively or negatively, but like D- Donald Trump, there are many real estate people who have made way more money but you probably don't know their name, you know, like I always think of VHS and beta, right? It's like, dude, beta was a way better product and VHS completely crushed them because it was better marketing. And I hate to say that. And I think most veterans will cringe at that, but like personal branding and marketing makes a difference. And I feel like it's, I do think it's, it's doubly hard for veterans. We don't want to put ourselves out there we want to put our team out there. We want to talk about what the team did, but the truth is the CEO is the voice and the face of the brand. And if they are not active in public, they are hurting their company. They're hurting hiring and retention and culture and everything. Yeah. And I think, I think that, you know, it's really interesting because I believe that there's, you know, a balance I would love to, uh, you know, inspire or motivate people to put themselves out there. Because I think a lot of times when you have some of these, you know, the, the, not everybody, obviously there's, you know, um, there's some turds in the military as well and veteran community, but for a large part, man, like veterans, you know what you're going to get, right. You you have an immediate, uh, there's an immediate fellowship. There's immediate brother, sisterhood camaraderie. You you know, the values that, uh, that most of them are going to, are going to espouse and, and, there's a lot of value there and there's a lot of people that would greatly benefit from those voices being heard. And I think that that balance, how you kind of, you know, uh, you, uh, you bridge that gap between, you know, self aggrandizement and, uh, and, and value add and, and pouring into other people's lives. I think that's a huge, I think the fact that you're focused on that bridge is a great place to be there a ton of opportunity one, but, yep. but two, I think there's a ton of meaning and value and depth in, in creating that and helping people realize that. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel like the key for me, and I think this is probably the, the quote unquote hack for most veterans is like in, in service of, right? Like I, 
I am experiencing personal discomfort in service of something better, right? And like on a daily basis, I don't really like sales. I don't like asking people for money. I want to set an example for my three-year-old son of like a man deeply rooted in his power, a man who can like achieve anything. So yeah, I'll, I will in service of that, I will ask someone for money, <laughs> you know, and I feel like for people that want to grow their company in service of that, I will stand as a public entity. I will stand as a public figure. I will put myself out there. Or even if it's not that, like, dude, if you are listening to this podcast and you served in the military, or even if you didn't, you have valuable insights in service of helping people learn from your mistakes, put your voice out there. Like we all have to benefit from that. Yeah, some of those toughest stories too. Like who, who's the best person to learn about the struggle of alcoholism or drugs from? Yep. Is it someone who's never struggled with addiction? No, it's the person that has struggled through those things that adds the most value and you can gain the most growth. And I think that's where, you know, inspiring that, that person in whatever that struggle is to share it is, is just so meaningful. Right. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I love how you're, you're t- turning that into a business. I mean, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty rad. There's a, there's a great quote that I learned when I did this purpose mapping and the guy, you know, the guy has this great process, but um, he says in, in the shadow lies the gold. And so like, in my case, like he, he goes through this exercise of like, what's your shadow? Like, what's the part of yourself you're least secure about? And for me, like he has you do these words for me, one of the words that came out of there was dainty. And I'm like, dude, if someone called me dainty, I would like punch them in the face. That's how much it hurts. Right. (laughs) And so it's like, there's this part of me that's like really insecure of like, oh, I feel fragile or I feel like I'm weak. And like, he works through that. Like the gold that came out of that was the antithesis, like what I aspire to, which is rugged. And so, you know, yesterday it snowed two inches. It was six degrees out. And when I went for a run, I'm like, dude, I'm cultivating ruggedness, you know, or like when I go snowshoeing, it's like cultivating it. But the only reason I knew that gold was there was that I looked in the shadow of that vulnerability of like, oh man, this really hurts. This is a part of myself that I dislike or that I'm ashamed of. And it's the same for failure, right? Like as I have been willing to mine the really public, messy, excruciating failures that I've made in business, I uncovered the gold that's helped me rebuild other companies. And it's not, it's not pleasant. You know, it's not pleasant to have someone who you think is less capable sell for a thousand million times more than you do. That sucks. But I learned something from it. And I'm sharing that with you guys about loving your customers. So I'm a big fan of that vulnerability because I think it benefits ourselves in the world. Yeah, dude, vulnerability is huge, man. I think it's a really great part of marketing that a lot of people don't, don't use. Um, David's it's really easy for him to be vulnerable because he just does a lot of dumb stuff to begin with. I mean, when you make mistakes constantly, I I mean, he has, he has more at bats for sharing the mistakes because he's just got so many more. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Hey, I'm curious, you know, so I, I, I see your posts on LinkedIn and and they're really good, man. Like it, 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 you put a lot of thought process into it and and the pictures that you create and the videos that you do, like it's, it's very intriguing. And the content that you create is, is, is great, man. I'm curious, you know, I saw one, you know, kind of short video clip that you did about more of like the tactics and you kind of got into the, the, the data and the analytics about like yeah. what, what really works. And I know that's, and I don't want you to spill all the beans because that's a lot about yeah. what your company does, but you know, for, for those that 
are inspiring to, to be influencers and to be out kind of on the social, like what, what does work, you know, because there's a lot of stuff that's just noise and it never gets to anybody in your experience. Like what, what should people be doing? So, so the video you're referencing, I, I looked at, uh, LinkedIn has these things called top voices. They're kind of not, not the most successful, but you know, variety of things. LinkedIn chooses them as like really influential on, on LinkedIn. And I looked at a year of their posts and I tried to figure out like, what, what are they doing? And in one of the first things I found was the on average across all of them, they posted 5.2 times per week. And that's what I do. I post Monday through Friday, and I'm trying to do that without exception this year. And the reason why, you know, so the first thing is consistency. And that's what I want across all areas of my life, right? Financially, I want to consistently save for retirement every month without exception. Uh, physically, I want to run, you know, five times per week without exception. And I, and I, and I just share that, that it's like, it's the success formula for, for everything is just being consistent, right? Yeah. Like I have a three-year-old son. I want to have quality interaction with him every day. I don't want to work my butt off and in 10 years, try to spend a month with him. Like I know I need to do the right action every day. So that's the biggest thing is like, just do it consistently. If you want to be good at it, do it consistently and learn. And I use a, a platform called shield.ai. It's maybe 20 bucks a month. I have become more diligent very recently of looking at the analysis. Okay. Long post versus short post post about running versus post about what, you know, let's like try to learn. Now I don't spend a ton of time on it, but I want to try to understand what's working for the random people who are following me. Um, and so I would say consistency and learning. And I think if you're being consistent, you can experiment and you can start to see what works, right? Every post is a potential lottery ticket, but for the most part, you might pick up two followers a week, right? So it's kind of like, there's an element of maybe you strike gold. And I, I interviewed someone who his post got like 200,000 likes. It was seen by millions of people. He had thousands of people email him. And he wrote about his, his wife had passed away five years earlier. He'd started a company. It was like an incredible post, but he had no idea. Like he posted, went to bed. He woke up to a thousand people who had messaged him. So I don't think that's the goal. I think it's a, certainly a side benefit, but the, you win the lottery by, by buying more tickets. And if you post five times a week, every single week, more lottery tickets. So that, that's the biggest piece of advice I'd give people. How would you encourage somebody if they're constantly looking for a better business partner or friend mm -hmm. to post, but like to leave so that the person that maybe they were the subject of it, that they were trying to get away from, didn't read those posts. Is there a way to do that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just look I, into it. I, can yeah. I post answer now. I post all day long on Instagram and David never sees it. So yeah. 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 And you're always just like my, my co my partner is just so awful. And I'm just like, I'm like so awkward. Cause he's like right there and he, he's hearing all of it. <laughs> Super awkward, but yeah. it is much easier for someone to post against me on uh, the socials. Cause I That's most it. likely will never see them. So it's awesome. Justin in the year of 2022, should, should everyone be on social media? Uh, if, if they're drawing to promote their business. It's, it's fine. I saw a post yesterday that I loved. 
and it was, um, if I wasn't in marketing, I wouldn't have a Facebook account. And I'm like, that's very true for me. Um, I, I, I'm not, a, I don't know. I fall in and out of love of social media. And I feel like, um, I feel like in a personal level, I would support people on whatever they want to do. Like it's probably 50, 50. I, I delete Facebook this year and you know, that's kind of the only other one I'm on LinkedIn. I feel like is, um, I think it's more appropriate there to have a persona like Facebook kind of feels like you're in your sweatpants and you're letting your hair down and you just kind of like that is LinkedIn. I think it, it's okay to be more buttoned up and to be more, um, presented. And I think that's appropriate too. I think that's like, you know, whether or not I stay on LinkedIn or not as a CEO, that's the mindset I need to have. If I go to a conference, it's, you know, I, I need to be there as a CEO. And if I go to an event, I'm there as a CEO. And I think LinkedIn's just the digital equivalent of that. So there's very few people that I wouldn't say should be on LinkedIn everything else, take it or leave it, you know? And, and, um, I think that most businesses have a presence on all these social channels, but especially if you're just starting out, pick one channel and go big on it. Don't try and do, do everything. Like I'd much rather you put all in on one. And if you do the, the quick math and Instagram makes more sense, go all in there, be, be present there. If it's Twitter, great. If it's LinkedIn, great. But I feel like pick one and go all in. It's hard to imagine a business that wouldn't benefit from social media exposure. Um, and if you're the CEO, you are the business. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And, and for my last question, what, uh, where does all this kind of go on? What do you envision for, you know, yourself 10 years from now? Is it just a serial entrepreneur and building up or is there, is there kind of a bigger why that you're trying to get to and, and, uh, uh, you know, at some point down the line? You know, I mean, this is probably as of 30 days ago, I feel like the first time where I want to just do one company for like 10 years. And so I hope it's executive presence. Who knows? Like I've pivoted many times up until here. I think what's driving that though is like, you know, like the best, the most powerful moment I had in Storybox was when I realized that like the impact I was having on the world was as an employer not as like a business person. And I started taking our team to go soul cycling together. And we started doing like meditation training together. And like, what, what really motivated me is like, man, it, it is pretty arbitrary whether this, this company is successful, but day to day, these employees are happy. They're growing, they're learning, and therefore they're having a positive impact on their families, their communities, all of that, their city. And, and that's kind of what's motivating me now. I, I've kind of spent the last five years avoiding having a team and I'm just switching over to like, dude, I want to hire because I, kn I know I'm now I won't be the best boss, but I know I can be better than most people out there who treat their employees like garbage. Like I know that I'll, and I think that most veterans would do this too. Like I know I will invest in my people, not just to get more productivity, but like I genuinely care about them having a fulfilling life. And I genuinely think I can build a company where if they are better served going somewhere else, go for it, man. I have no hard feelings. So that's what's motivating me right now is like, dude, I want to build a platform for that. I want to build a platform where I can hire a ton of people and make them the best human beings possible. 
And yes, we will benefit as a company, but I'll feel good at the end of the day, regardless of what happens with the company. So it's pretty new for me to say that and edgy because I've spent a long time avoiding building a team and hiring people and stuff like that. But ultimately, I think that, you know, we get a platform as CEOs and that's with our employees mostly and with our clients and sometimes with the world. And I'd love to have a stab at that. That's great. Great answer, man. I, I love it. You know, I think for Stu and I, the, the X's and O's of a business is not the passion. It's the people on the team and, and being able to employ and, and being able to uh, see people grow and, and being a part of that is such an honor. It's so humbling. I mean, that was the best part of being a CEO. I was definitely not the best CEO, was not the best cryptologic officer, was not the, the best technician, any of that, but, but I loved my people um, and they knew I loved them. And I think that, you know, leaving command was one of the most, uh, most impactful things and emotional things for me was the sailor's input to me was, Hey, sir, I know you cared. Mm -hmm. And that was the, that was the prevailing thing. It's not, I know you, you weren't the best leader. You're not the best anything, but I know you cared about me. And I think that was, um, you know, I, I love hearing you say that and I, and don't shortchange yourself. I think you'd be an amazing boss. Thank you. Uh, you know, and, and I'll probably be looking for somewhere to go to work soon anyhow, because uh, I, don't, I don't know how this is going to work out with Stuart. So <laughs> yeah. we'll talk offline. I'll, I'll message you on LinkedIn. Yeah. But, um, but you know, I, I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, you definitely don't sell yourself short. And I think what you're doing, your vision for people, even your vision, your business is built around helping CEO, CEOs be better versions of what you just said. And I think that's a beautiful thing, uh, creating a business around making people better while you're also getting paid to grow, I think is uh, you know, incredible vision. So, and I think, you know, I think the other piece of that for me too, is like, I, I had times in Storybox where I was so fixated on the team that I lost sight of like, if this business fails, then everyone's screwed. And so it's like, it is like, sometimes it's in the best interest of everyone to just make sure you have a kick-ass company as well. But um, I, I appreciate that. And I'm getting your private messages here in zoom and uh, just send me your resume. I, I hear it's not going well, but yeah, I just wanted to let you know, I saw that. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Justin, dude, this was fun. This was yeah. a lot of fun. We, uh, yeah, we need to, uh, need to go like skiing, snowboarding together sometime. For and, sure, man. Yeah. yeah, dude, it's so good to see you guys. It's such yeah. an honor. I appreciate the, uh, trust in letting me, uh, on your show and, and, uh, excited for what's ahead for you guys, or at least half of you. And, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, dude. So where, uh, where can people find out about more of your company and, and get in touch with you if, if they're interested in, in learning more? Uh, if you fill out a demo form at captivate.ai or at executivepresence.io, it gets to me in some way, shape, or form. Uh, LinkedIn as well, or um, uh, yeah, those are probably the best ones. Okay, we'll put those in the show notes for sure, man. Uh, well, dude, great to see you again, and uh, yeah. thanks for coming on. I, I learned a bunch today, so um, as always, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you both. All right, yeah, thank guys, you, Justin. Yeah, take guys care, gals. Guys. Go, uh, go share this on on. LinkedIn shared on LinkedIn and, uh, <laughs> or TikTok, Yeah. <laughs> or TikTok, Yeah. Either, either one. And, uh, Hey, most importantly, go fill your storehouse. Hey, make it a great day, friends. Thank you. See ya. See ya. Thanks for listening to filling the storehouse. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe and share it with someone you love. And if you really felt inspired, leave a five-star review so we could continue to grow and help other Christian entrepreneurs fill their storehouse. If you're interested in creating financial freedom through real estate investing, be sure to check out our website at storehouse310turnkey.com. We'd love to serve you through our platform of building the kingdom. 
Just click on the contact link and we'll reply to you as soon as we can. Again, thanks so much for listening. Now go for your storehouse and make it a great day.